This is the Rheumatology Republic podcast. I'm Penny Durham. I'm here in Atlanta at the OCR annual meeting. And I'm here with Dr. David Liu from Melbourne, from Austin Health in Melbourne. G'day, David. Oh, it's nice to join you here, Penny, and uh, you know, in sunny Atlanta. It's been raining all morning. It's been freezing outside. I guess this is the US in the middle of winter. Yeah, it was uh, four degrees when I arrived at the conference venue today. I hope you brought your finest Melbourne winter gear. <laughs> yeah, well, this is warm for Melbourne, I guess. But uh, you know, I'm not here for the weather. I'm here for the, uh, you know, what's inside the conference centre. It's uh, Disneyland for rheumatologists in here. And uh, every meeting, I, I stand in awe at all, everything that's going on. It's incredible. Disneyland for rheumatologists, there you have it. Um, are you a regular at this particular meeting? Uh, the last few years I've been trying to go, and um, I think this is where the business for the year happens. Uh, a lot of um, international investigators who I um, collaborate with and talk to are here. The kind of conversations that you have here are the kind of conversations that are hard to have elsewhere. And I see some incredible stuff here, even from uh, my Australian colleagues. The kind of things that come up here um, really do change my practice. So you've been involved in a fair amount of work that's being presented on display here. Do you want to run us through a couple of those? Oh, little bits here and there. Um, so uh, we've had a few bits of work. Uh, my colleague Claire Owen's been working a lot on um, PET CT and polymyalgia rheumatica, and actually um, there's been some other work from uh, Tony Samuel here as well, Tony Samuel from Sydney. Um, and I think Australia's really leading the field um, in that, that, or certainly up there, uh, in terms of using PET-CT as a modality in, in PMI-GCA. Um, we're doing some great work. Peter Grayson came up to me today and said, how come Australia's so good at this? So I think, you know, we, we're, you know as long as we're um, nimble, we're able to really um, assert ourselves in the research world. Um, I have also been involved with um, two other studies. Uh, one of them was an, an audit looking at ANA and double-stranded DNA utilisation, double-stranded DNA uh, ordering in ANA-negative patients in the context of the EVOLVE guidelines. So I think we all know that as part of um, choosing wisely, one of the one of the recommendations we put forward as a as a rheumatology association was that in ANA-negative patients, uh, we should uh, not order double-stranded DNA unless there were features consistent with lupus. And it's something that we've been really trying to emphasise to our generalist colleagues. And the, uh, our data showed that the campaign worked, that it was really, at our centre at least, there was a, a, an incredible drop-off in inappropriate double-stranded DNA ordering after those recommendations. So, I mean, to everyone who was involved with those recommendations, plaudits to them. It's, it's been really great for our specialty to be leading the way. Great. And what's some of the other pieces of work that have caught your eye along the way? Uh, one of our very keen residents, Victor Yang, has been enthusiastically recruiting sites into a multi-centre um, retrospective study looking at what drives temporal artery biopsies to be positive. Is it all about the length of the temporal artery that we get? Are there other features involved? And so there's some interesting data that... Um, that uh, was presented here that, uh, from his audit, uh, and I think that's the kind of thing which we hope uh, can lead to greater collaboration across the country. Great. And um, what are some of the other pieces of work that you've noticed around in the conference that have caught your eye? Well, I think one of the other really exciting bits of Australian work is uh, Eric Moran's work on uh, anaphrolimab, uh, which is uh, the start of one of the first agents targeting um, interferon uh, uh, as a therapy for lupus. I think 
it's really the kind of thing we always worry about all the it's almost a cliche the number of successful phase two trials with failed um, phase three outcomes <laughs> it's one of those things isn't it and we really do I need heard that, that like yeah. some 10 billion dollars of research had um, wound up in failed phase three trials for lupus oh I've stopped counting Penny <laughs> I've stopped counting but um it's, uh, I think it's, it's mixed news for anaphrolimab. Obviously, uh, I think a lot of us have seen uh, the first uh, study, uh, which was in Lancet Rheumatology, uh, which um, on conventional on conventional lupus outcomes uh, was a little bit disappointing, but uh, Eric is here at the meeting in the late breaking talking about uh, using Bickler, uh, an alternative endpoint, and... Um, we really just are quite desperate in lupus to find an agent that that works. So um, I think this is the kind of thing which there's a really good argument for to look at as a therapeutic agent potentially funded. Great. And, and you mentioned something earlier about um, hand osteoarthritis, a slightly paradoxical result there. Yes, and I think this is, I mean, I know it's of interest to a number of Australian investigators, but it's something that frustrates us as clinicians in the clinic, that we often have people come to us uh, with... Um, hand osteoarthritis, especially that inflammatory, erosive hand osteoarthritis. Uh, my mother has it. Uh, I look around the, uh, the family dinner table at gatherings. I can see all my uncles have it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm damned to get it when I'm older. So I'm really hoping that someone can come up with something. Um, and it can be quite disabling for our patients, but um, we've really been frustrated in the past to find something. There were two abstracts in the second plenary um, at this meeting uh, looking at, firstly at methotrexate and then secondly at um, prednisolone 10 milligrams a day. And, and I know that some of these things have been addressed before, but the interesting uh, thing from this uh, French methotrexate data was actually that there was this uh, benefit as far as structural uh, outcomes were concerned, but not in terms of pain or function. And I think that's really ch- that's challenging for us to think about why there might be this disconcordance. We're used to rheumatoid arthritis where we see erosive damage and we know that's correlated with inflammation and, and pain and function, and they all nicely line up. And if anything, in osteoarthritis, we're used to things the other way, where we get benefit as far as pain is concerned, but no improvement in structure. So uh, I think that was quite thought-provoking, and immediately after that was um, about short-term prednisolone, where um, prednisolone 10 milligrams uh, daily really to have an improvement in terms of pain, but um, that completely reversed the moment you stop prednisolone. And I think uh, a lot of us um, who have occasionally tried a bit of prednisolone for hand osteoarthritis can really relate to that. So I think it's one of those things where we still keep on looking for answers and we get partial answers. And um, whoever finds a complete answer is going to become a very rich person, I think. And beyond the science and beyond the clinical tips and pearls, of course, these conferences are largely about networking and making new friends and contacts. Have you made any new friends at this uh, conference? Oh, absolutely. And it's always the case. I'm interested in immune-related adverse events from checkpoint inhibitors, and I think that Australia is really in a driving position with this. Um, we've got good access through the PBS, um, and we've got a big melanoma burden, so our patients are receiving checkpoint inhibitors and our oncologists are using lots of checkpoint inhibitors um, and it's always great to have conversations with all the other interested researchers in the field especially a lot of the Americans um, to exchange some ideas talk about things to work on in the future and yeah, it's, it's fantastic especially given that um, a lot of the key drivers in this field are are youngish like me and uh, yeah it's easy to relate to them so uh, I'm hoping that 
some of the conversations that I've had at this meeting will lead to future um, cooperation and collaboration. I think like a lot of other um, people here are hoping for their own work. But the photo you just showed me before was of something much cuter than a checkpoint inhibitor. <laughs> well, I just uh, the ACI have been working really hard on on wellness, and uh, in their wellness zone, they've they've had therapy dogs every day. So I've just had my um, face uh, licked uh, on every side by a therapy dog. It was adorable, and uh, I think if I was just to, to thank the ACR for any given innovation that they've introduced this year, I think that's got to be high up the list. Absolutely. That's pretty awesome. And um, the next ACR meeting next, you know, in November next year is in Washington, D.C. And it takes place, I can't remember, three or four days after the presidential election. Yes. That's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, well, November 2020. And it was, Nove- it was back in November 2016 in Washington, D.C. before that. And before that, it's, it's not the first time it's been in, um, in D.C. In fact, I heard some talk at this meeting about whether things should be deliberate, whether specialties deliberately have uh, conferences in DC around the time or after the election to advocate for their particular disease. Uh, I know that's something that we're trying to do better in rheumatology, but it's always, uh, it'll be interesting. I look forward to being in DC next year and, uh, and rubbing shoulders with everyone else who's there. David Liu, thanks very much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Penny.